Hey everybody, it's Jason. Welcome or welcome back to the Mosaic Church Podcast. At the end of this podcast, please take a moment to connect with us on social media. It's a great place to learn more and to see what's happening at Mosaic. Most importantly, hope the following message encourages and inspires you to take a new step on your faith journey. Enjoy. So here's the big, huge, audacious, crazy question I want to explore with you today as we continue in our series on 1 John called Prove It. What in the world is love? What is love? Because I love my family, and I really love Friday night fish fries. I love when there's not too much breading. You know what I'm talking about, those cheap places that give you too much breading, and they try to fill you with all the fries and the bread and all that. No, I like the fish fries where there's like really hot, and you get like the walleye or perch. Like those are the best Wisconsin fish fries ever, and I love them. I also love dogs. I've been a dog person my whole life. I really love fishing and the outdoors. I love being outside. I love sunsets as they drop over a lake when I'm sitting in my boat and I see the sky turn that orange-purple and I sit there and just stare at the majesty of what God has created in the sky. I'm like, I absolutely love it. I love pizza. Oh my word, give me thin crust, give me thick crust. And we all know that Chicago Deep Dish is the best pizza ever created. I love pizza. I also love sushi. In the, not the same time, but I love sushi. I love being able to eat raw fish and not get sick. I love it so much. I love my friends. I love these people who've poured into my life and have loved me through so many things. I love God. I love my neighbor as myself. I love my enemies. What's love? I I remember my first kind of girlfriend. My first kind of girlfriend was in sixth grade. This is Now, kids here, this is not a, hey, Pastor Jason did this, so here's an opportunity for me to make some excuse to my family to have a girlfriend in sixth grade. This is just my story. And so I had my first kind of girlfriend in sixth grade. There's a girl in my class I had the hugest crush on since fourth grade. Now, I just want you to put in that perspective, two years of crushing on somebody is like 20 adult years. So this girl, I was crushing on so hard but she was dating my best friend and so my mind worked I said okay well she's dating my best friend but she has a friend and she's cute and she's not dating anybody and so she liked me so I thought okay this is what I'm going to do I'm going to just say Amy is my girlfriend so I'm like hey you want to be my girlfriend and she's like sure You know it's love when the girl says, sure. So Amy's in my class. Uh, This is what I knew about her. She sat on the opposite side of the room. I think I'm in love with her. I knew this about Amy. She had brown hair. Um, I knew she was kind of tall. She was taller than me. I knew that she played an instrument in the orchestra. That was about it. And I was in love. So Amy and I, my kind of girlfriend, I'm super excited. We did all great things that these kind of boyfriend-girlfriend relationships have. I decided we're going to talk on a telephone. So let me just put you back to the 80s on this. 
We used to have a telephone that had this long, curly, if you're lucky, long, curly cord. And in my house, I wasn't allowed to have a phone in my bedroom. It was down in the kitchen. So I would take this long, curly cord, the kitchen phone, and I would stretch that thing as far as I could so I could get into a different room to kind of close the door so my mom and dad couldn't hear me talking to my kind of girlfriend and make a fool of myself. This phone was attached to the wall, and my dad was always yelling at me, get off the phone, right? Like, Because I was trying to talk to my kind of girlfriend. But we didn't really talk on the phone. We just kind of said, hey. <laughs> so what are you doing? Nothing. Okay, we'll see you tomorrow in school. But it, I knew it, this was love. This was love, guys. Don't make fun. This was love. And I loved Amy because I got to sit by her on the bus when we went on a field trip. And so I sat next to Amy on the bus to this field trip, and I didn't touch her, and I didn't talk to her, but I sat next to her. I was in absolute love. The big moment came, and we were alone on the playground after school. And so I'm alone with Amy on the playground back into something that were called the tires. And so I want to give you a picture back to those who weren't alive in the 80s. In the 80s, everything we had in our playground was dangerous and could kill you. <laughs> everything was dangerous, could kill you. We had these monkey bars that were big domes. And the idea of this is how do I walk from one side to the other without using my hands? And then we had ones that were like big, like ladders across the top. And then we would try to walk across that without using our hands. And then we had these big cement tubes that we'd go inside of. And then if you were a bully, you beat up kids inside of those things. And then we had these things called tires. The tires were these large, old, rubber truck tires that were formed together to make these little, you could kind of go inside them. But I don't know if you've ever touched tires before, uh, but they're not smooth. And so you'd cut your legs up all on it, but you'd go inside and you could hide from people who were watching you. And then we had metal slides that would burn your skin off at least five layers. In the heat of the day, this would literally give you a 17 degree burn. It was just awesome being alive in the 80s. So Amy and I were alone, and we said this, let's go into the tires to talk. So we went into the tires to talk. Now, I'm in love with this girl. She has brown hair. She's taller than me, and she plays an instrument in the orchestra. And so we get into the tires. This is where you go to hide with your girlfriend. And so I decided as a sixth-grade boy, here's my moment. I'm in love. What do people do when they're in love? They kiss. So... I go in for my first kiss. Now, I can explain this to you to the best of my memory is this. Hands sweaty, head shaking, having no idea what I'm doing, puckering my lips, moving forward for the kiss. And as I go forward, my little sister sticks her head in the tires and screams. <laughs> ah, I'm telling mom. And she takes off running, to which point we didn't. I got a kiss on the side of her cheek, and that was it, but man, I was in love. That kiss on the cheek led to the fact that we went up onto a pole, and on our light pole, all the couples would put their names, and so we wrote our initials on the light pole, and we put a big heart around it, and one week later, we broke up. <laughs> I was in love. Uh, my wife and I have been married for 22 years. She tells me she loves me. I, my kids tell me they love me. What in the world is love? How is it 
That at the very beginning, as, as we start conversations about this idea of love, it becomes so cloudy and convoluted and so confusing that from a very young age you start to hear words. But then we add to it this crazy idea. There are people who said that they loved you and abused you. There's people who said that they loved you and they purposely walked away from you. There are people who said they loved you and they lied. It didn't mean anything. It was a bunch of words. It wasn't actions. And so all of these things come together and we say, what in the world is love? You all have heard it somehow in some way. And if I asked you right now, define love for me, you give me your definition of love. Every single person here is going to say something different. Our word of love is coming with so much behind it. It's coming with so much background and so much baggage and so many stories and your sixth grade tire story all the way to what happened this week. All of these ideas of love come together and that's what we're going to explore today. What is love? And I'm excited as we continue in our series in 1 John, if you're just joining us for the first time, we've been exploring uh, what this idea is in the book of 1 John. And 1 John, to catch you up, is an amazing book. It's a short book. If you haven't read it before, I encourage you to read the book of 1 John. In this, this whole idea is that John creates this premise. He starts with this. I am a disciple of Jesus. I have been around him, I walked with him, I talked with him, I was with him, and this, as a disciple of Jesus, I'm legit, which means what I'm saying, I'm a first-hand account, so you can trust the words that I'm saying. That's how he starts this whole book. And then as he moves forward and starts to go through this book, he gives instruction after instruction after instruction, and they are not easy things to hear. They are truths, they are solid, they are good, but man, some of them are like, that's a big thought, John. Why are you sharing this? And the reason he's sharing this, because he walked and talked with Jesus himself. So he's a legit account to what really is true. So he's writing this book saying, I've been with the Lord. Trust me, these are the things that he talked about. And this is the way he talked. And so he is giving this account. And now he is thinking through the idea of love. As a firsthand witness, as a one who was there, He's going to talk to us in 1 John chapter 3, verses 11 to 24. The verses on your sheets for those who had handouts this week. I'm excited. We're, next week we should have our projector up, so no more song sheets. That'd be awesome. You can just look up like, hey, there it is. But I uh, also want to encourage you as well, uh, if you have your Bibles, your Bible apps, this is something that you might want to mark and, and put a mark on because 1 John 3, 11 through 16 says a lot. It says a lot because it's going to take us through this idea of love contrasted with what love is not. So 1 John 3, 11 through 16 says this. For this is the message you heard from the beginning. We should love one another. Do not be like Cain who belonged to the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own actions were evil and his brothers were righteous. Do not be surprised, my brothers and sisters, if the world hates you. We know that we have passed from death to life because we love each other. Anyone who does not love remains in death. Anyone who hates a brother or sister is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life residing in him. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need, but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but in actions and in truth. 
passage starts off by flashing backwards into Genesis chapter 4. If you're newer to the Bible or to these stories, this is an account in the beginning of how God had created everything. And God created Adam and Eve, the first humans that we see in the story. And Adam and Eve now are entered into a picture and they have a child. The first one they have is Cain. He's the older son. Second one that they have is Abel. God gives them two sons right away. As they look at their jobs, Cain is the one who works the land. We find out in the uh, earlier chapters of Genesis that part of the problem of sin that Adam and Eve went into when they sinned, God removed them from the Garden of Eden and he gave this curse to Adam and said this, the rest of your life you're going to have to work the land. It's going to have thorns, it's going to be hard, it's going to be laborious, which means before that it sounds like work was awesome, but now work is a torment. And so we see their firstborn Cain is the one who works the land. He's a farmer of some sort or someone who works that way for food. Secondly, Abel. And Abel, we see, is the one who goes around and takes care of the flocks. Doesn't say what kind of flocks they are, but he takes care of the animals. And so as the story in, uh, in uh, Genesis here comes together, we see this. Cain and Abel come before God and they bring an offering. Cain brings his baskets of whatever he had, he had brought forward, and Abel comes and brings some of the firstborn, the best of his firstborn, of his animals he brings, these fatty animals, he brings them as a sacrifice before God. Cain comes and has a terrible heart. We have no idea what's going on inside, but something is wrong with his offering. Abel comes and has a correct heart. And what we know about his offering, God says, that's good. He says to Cain and says, that's not good. It's always about the heart with God. We can go through and go through the motions, but it's about the heart and the intention of what is going on at that moment. So Cain now is extremely angry because God had rejected him. So God is in this relationship with Cain and Abel here where there is a conversation going on and Cain is rejected. So Cain does what every normal brother does. He kills his brother. He is so enraged with the fact that Abel was chosen over himself. He goes and he murders his brother. His brother did something righteous. He came with a pure heart. And we don't know this story, but let's add a little color commentary to it. Abel is the innocent, loving, I just came to serve God guy. Cain came. Something is jealous. He doesn't like this. This is stupid. Whatever his idea was, he comes. He brings it. I can see Abel kind of coming like, Lord, here is my sacrifice. And he lays it down. And Cain's like, here, whatever. There's something different about their attitudes as they approach this throne of worship. Because one is accepted, one is rejected, and Abel is called righteous. So Cain is so angry, he kills him. Now let's go back into 1 John and listen to this passage again. For this is the message you heard from the beginning. We should love one another. Do not be like Cain, who belonged to the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own actions were evil and his brother's were righteous. From the very beginning of time, we are to emulate God. From the very beginning of how we are created, we are called to love each other. Now, in this passage specifically, what John is referring to is referring to those who are in the family of God. This is many times we see different aspects of loving each other, loving others outside, but now he's talking directly about the family of God. Those who are called by Jesus, those who are redeemed, those who are in the family, we are called to love one another. 
And we are now supposed to do that and love each other. But as a family and as my brother and as my sister, how I'm not supposed to love you is to be jealous and kill you. That is not love. So for those who are struggling today, let me tell you, love is not killing somebody. Love is not that. Love is not murder. Love is not that jealousy. Love is not that hatred. In Christ, we're part of a family. There is no jealousy, anger, and murder against each other because that is not of God. That is of the evil one, and the evil one, Cain, was following his ways. Abel was following God's ways and was seen righteous and came with a pure heart. So John gives us amazing insight. If people hate you, Because you love God, don't be surprised. If you're living a righteous life and you're like, people turn and like, who does this guy think he is? Who does that girl think that she is? She thinks she's all holy roller, Jesus freak, super righteous and all these kind of things. If people hate you, not because you're doing some outward thing like putting Jesus stickers on your cars or like being like, I listen to Caleb, so I'm awesome. Like whatever, you can listen to Caleb, but that's not the point. The point is this. It's not a fake outward appearance, it's your heart. And when you have a heart that's righteous and you are loving and giving and serving and you are being the family of God, don't be surprised when people turn and like, who do you think you are? Don't be surprised, he says, when the world hates you because they hated Christ. They hated Jesus himself for the same reason. Now remember, James or John is walking with Jesus. John is watching Jesus go and serve and heal people, and people still hate his guts. He's watching Jesus walk up to a blind man, spit in the ground, take some mud, put it on his eyes, and the man can see. And all of a sudden, some people love him, and some people say he's demon-possessed. Like, people are crazy, it seems. And so when John is saying this, he's like, brothers and sisters, don't be surprised, man. Don't be surprised because he killed his own brother. This is normal, but this is not for you. Just because it's happening doesn't mean it's right. Just don't be surprised by it. So John moves on. If you have a question, if you have God's spirit in you, do you ever wonder, am I part of God's family? He says this, do you love? Anyone who does not love is still in death. Anyone who hates his brother and sister is a murderer. Anyone who is against the things of God, how can the Spirit of God be in you? Because those who are in Christ, when the Spirit is working through us, we take the characteristics and the priorities of God into our own life, and we become transformed to be like him. But it's crazy when you think about this. I haven't murdered anybody. I don't plan on murdering everybody. I have no intention of murdering anybody. So how can I be put into that category? I'm going to take you back to a teaching of Jesus. We're going to flash back again. Now, I think, then this is my own world, so this is my own color commentary. John, as he's writing this, and my color commentary flashes back to the teachings of Jesus, accorded for us, recorded in Matthew 5, 21 through 23. He flashes back to sitting there, listen to his master, share with him about love and hate. And this is what Jesus says in Matthew 5, 21 to 23. You have heard it said to the people long ago, you shall not murder. And anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to a brother or sister, Racha, which is a a derogatory comment such as, 
you're garbage, you're worthless, you're wor-. I mean, just, just like a derogatory, terrible comment back in their language. If you say this is answerable to the court, and anyone who says you fool will be in danger of the fire of hell. Therefore, if you're offering your gift at the altar, and there you remember your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to them. Then come and offer your gift. Whoa, cool parallel. Let's just think about this for a second. Jesus is teaching this group of people, and he, they're asking him about these different things. He starts teaching about what love looks like, and like, well, I haven't murdered anybody, but he's saying this. If you even angry, if you are someone who holds something against your brother or sister, you're already a murderer. Now flash all the way back to Cain and Abel. And he says this, Jesus says, if you have anything against your brother and sister, just drop your Drop your worship. Just drop it. Don't even, don't worry about it. Go and take care of that business with your person. Go take care. Go build relationship. Go fix the problem now. Before you worship and give me anything and sing songs to me, before you do anything, I'm telling you, stop. If there's beef among you, you've got to stop because your heart's not right. Go fix your heart, then come back, and then worship me. So God is really serious about his worship. Therefore, God is really serious about our relationships because Jesus himself now is teaching this crowd and teaching John this. You think murder is actually killing somebody. I'm telling you murder starts in the heart. And before Cain picked up something and struck his brother in the head, he already had a murderous heart and hatred towards his brother. And so what he should have done is put down that basket of wheat, go and say, Abel, I got beef with you, man. We got to work this out right now. I'm just frustrated that every time I go to worship, God's got your back. He doesn't have mine. And Abel, I'm frustrated with you. Abel would be like, bro, what's up? (laughs) I'm just doing my thing, right? But he works it out. And you would think in the context of relationship, those brothers would have reconciled. Those two brothers together bring their offering before God. And would the story have been different? Jesus teaches us right here. If you even are angry with a brother or sister... You are in judgment. You talk garbage about a brother and sister. You start saying things that are against them. You're worthless. You're garbage. Who cares about you? You're not worth anything. It doesn't matter. Inside of your heart, you've already created a narrative, and God says this. I don't want your worship. Go fix that, because that's evil, just like Cain. So John doesn't hold any punches back. But I love the idea that he sat and listened to Jesus. And when you look at the other scriptures, you start to see how John references the different teachings of Jesus once again here. That hatred that's inside of our heart shows us what love is not. Love is not jealousy towards other. Love is not speaking out and putting someone down. Love is not calling someone a fool, an idiot, calling somebody worthless. Love is not believing you're greater than somebody else. That is not love. Love is an action of what's already in your heart. And God reveals to us that through what Jesus has done. So now we move. So John lays out to this is what not love. Love is not this. He now says, but this is what love is. We move on in our passage. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need but has no pity on them, How can the love of God be in that person? Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but in actions and in truth. Love requires, not an option, requires us to give our lives 
for others. If we look at our, just, just look right now at our culture, and, and I know this is crazy. Our world is crazy. The stuff in Afghanistan is crazy. COVID is crazy. What's happening in the church world is crazy. Things are crazy right now. But just stop for a second of this. What if those people who say, I follow Jesus Christ, just, just those people who say, I follow Jesus, he is my master, I believe in him, uh, he died for me, that's my, that's my God. If I just took those group of people and that group of people only sacrificed their lives for others, what would our world look like? Just that group of people. Throughout the world, a group of people in Washington County, Southeast Wisconsin, the Midwest, the United States, the world. What would it look like if just a group of people did this one simple verse and said, this is what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. We lay down our lives for others. We don't talk about it. We do it. Period. You have world peace. If you want to understand why this world is so jacked up, we are the bearers and the holders of those who call Christ king. We have God's love in us. Have we ever thought that part of the problem is that we're not doing anything with it? Like, is John saying something to us, not only for his readers back then, but to us 2,000 years later? Brothers and sisters, our world needs love. You're the catalyst of love. Jesus showed us love. Now replicate that and do it into your community, into your world. If just us, friends, did that in your circle in which you're in, your family, your workplace, your neighborhood, we would change the world one life at a time. And that's what John is telling us. Love requires us to give something of ourself for others. Love is meaning you give up your comfort. Love is giving up your convenience. Love is giving up your finances. Love is giving up whatever you have in possession. Love is giving up your very life. That is love. To those who've been damaged by love, I'll ask you this question. If you, someone said they love you, a parent, um, a father, mother, maybe a former spouse, maybe a child, somebody who said they loved you, I just want to ask you this question. Were they sacrificial or were they selfish? Just those two words, one second. Just, I, want you to, I don't want to run past this. Were they sacrificial or were they selfish? Because love is sacrificial. Evil is selfish. But let's go a little step further. Maybe that person who hurt, loved you and hurt you. I'm going to ask this question. Maybe at one time they were sacrificial, but when things got bad, did things become selfish? It's all about me, my needs, my wants, my desires. Because when we start to focus on our inward self, when we start to build anger and hatred and frustration, irritation, or whatever words we want to say, when those things start to be built inside of the heart, love is pushed out, murder enters the heart, and then we become like Cain. And John says this, brothers and sisters, hear me with all of my heart right now. Love must rule. Love must rule. Love must be the catalyst for everything we do. Love must be the thing in which we live for. Love and give sacrificially. 
That's what John said. Now, we know John because John hung out with Jesus. We're going to say this. You hang out with Jesus, you pretty much know what Jesus said. And Jesus was always talking about sacrificial love. But he didn't just talk about it, friends. He went and did it. The beauty of the gospel of Jesus Christ is that the cross was a real thing in which Jesus took. He didn't just say, I love you. He proved it by what he did. And because he proved it, we now have that opportunity to do the same thing. So our definition of love today, our definition of love is what Jesus did. True love is that my life is less than yours. Your life is greater than mine. Your needs are higher than my needs. You are someone I should sacrifice my everything for. And you're like, well, that's cool. You're a pastor. You're supposed to do that. John isn't writing this book to pastors. He's writing it to all of us. There is no pastor and person sitting listening. We are all disciples and followers of Jesus. And if you're just starting to learn or maybe you're exploring Jesus and you're like, I'm not really sure about this, listen to this right now, my friends. The Jesus that I'm talking about, the one of the Bible, gave his life and gave everything and calls us to be that giving and loving back into our world. Why wouldn't you want to be a part of a movement like that? It's whole idea behind Mosaic and why we have our statement that we do, our vision statement, which if you didn't know was this, igniting a movement of radical love that transforms our community and the world. Do you know where I got that from? This verse. Radical love means I give to you and you give me nothing back. I love you and you hate me back. I give generously out to the best of my abilities. I go outward because God gave everything and I expect nothing in return. That is radical love. Even a better word for it, it's like stupid radical love. It seems like what's wrong with you? But that is what Jesus did for us. It was this love that was transformative and this movement of love is what John is talking about. What if you loved a little bit like that today? Just a little. One way, one person, you sacrifice. Humble yourself and lift others up above you. True love means I will give you what you need. Your time of need, it means my true love is radically generous. It means that my true love means that I'm not going to get what I want sometimes. That's true love. Our definition of love is not a sixth grade kiss in tires. It's not writing a name on a pole. It's not a bunch of words spoken at a wedding. In fact, when I do weddings, part of what I talk about is this passage. I tell them this, and I love to say this, not only to the premaritals, but also at the, at the wedding. Love, my friends, is sacrifice. If you want to be married to the very end, you're going to have to give up a lot. You're going to have to give up everything. You're going to have to be willing to give your life up for your spouse because as soon as you pull back and become selfish, that's when the cracks start. As soon as selfishness starts, the cracks start to break a relationship, the relationship starts to fall apart because those who've been married for some years will say this. Those who've been married for 22 years here, I know there's more here in this room and I know there's more, some in between, some new. We know this, during your time of marriage, you will have to give up a lot. <laughs> The toilet paper always goes over the top, not underneath. <laughs> Towels are meant to be put onto the rack, not onto the floor. 
I really want to go out with my friends, but you need me tonight. I wanted to use that money to buy something, but I'll give it to you for what you want. I was hoping tonight that we could do something, but today you're too sick. I'm going to just help you out the best way I can. I wanted to go out on this huge trip. I had a huge trip planned, but we're not going to because I need to take care of the kids so that you have time. Love is sacrifice. True love requires sacrifice. So today, John has totally challenged us. Where are you in the concept of love? And can you hear this brother from 2,000 years ago? The man who sat at the foot of Jesus' teachings, who listened and then he says this to you, love will require you to give up everything because Jesus Christ gave up everything for us. Let's not just talk about it. Let's do it. Once again, thank you so much for listening. If you live in Southeast Wisconsin, we'd love to connect with you at our weekend gathering for service time, directions, and to learn more about our vision to ignite a movement of love that transforms our community and the world, visit us at mosaicwi.com.